Operation Smooth in Tokyo, says an IOC vice president. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Tokyo Report podcast. I'm Ed Hula. In just a moment, a conversation with the newest vice president of the International Olympic Committee. Meanwhile, five days to go to closing ceremony. The event calendar shows 21 sports on the calendar for Wednesday. There will be medals in 10 of those sports, with Women's Skateboard Park event making its Olympic debut. The routine of the Games rolls on smoothly, so much so that the Joint Coordination Commission overseeing things in Tokyo did not meet on Tuesday. Our guest today sits in on those meetings as part of her remit as the chair of the IOC Commission for the Los Angeles 2028 Olympics. Nicole Hovertz is the newest vice president of the IOC, elected during the IOC session held just prior to the Tokyo Olympics. She is an Olympian representing Aruba at the 1984 Games in synchronized swimming, now known as artistic swimming. Hovert says she has seen the Tokyo Games settle into a nice routine since the opening ceremony. I was invited to be to be part of the daily coordination meeting uh, as an observer, and that's really, really a very interesting meeting because there's where all the problems uh, come together and they have to be solved that same day because that's what we want. So the fact that we uh, don't have a meeting today and uh, have not had a meeting yesterday either, that means that uh, on the one hand, uh, things are going much better. And on the other hand, uh, it's better to, you know, to solve the problems that, that still arise uh, and instead of sitting in meetings, so to speak. But have there really been any serious operational issues for you to solve? Uh, nothing that it seems has come up that has been a, a game stopper, if you will. That That is right, Ed. And I think uh, when President Bach has said in the past and is still repeating that now that Tokyo is the best ever organized games, he was not exaggerating. I think the Japanese have done really an outstanding job uh, despite everything. Despite all the difficulties and the challenges, they were able to to pull it off. And uh, I mean, one of the mi- you always have some minor operational problems at, at games time. That's that's part of the uh, part of of the uh, the operation. And I think uh, there were some issues with transportation uh, in, at the beginning, but they were able to solve that. And I think everybody's happy with the the, the level of the food and and the, the the accommodations and the venues are fantastic. The only thing that's missing is the spectators. That's all that's missing. And uh, I hope that through television that the the public, wherever they are, they can enjoy absolutely the fantastic venues. Well, it is an interesting experience uh, watching the games uh, on TV without the the roar of the crowd. Um, Given that I'm not in the Olympic City, it's an unusual experience for me to to uh, to watch via NBC, the rights-holding broadcaster here in the United States, and not be able to go live into a stadium or follow it on the host broadcast channel. But you've been in these venues without the spectators. What's that like? Uh, that must be a, a little bit of a a hollow experience. Uh, how do you get excited in a in an atmosphere like that? Well, you know, Ed, it's. Uh... It's different. Like, for example, at the swimming pool, since there are so many swimmers, there still are people in the stands. It's it's just the the mere spectators that are from their own own sports, you know. 
So that was, uh, that was, there was some noise at the swimming pool. Uh, on the other hand, I was at baseball. I was invited by uh, the president of the World uh, Baseball and Softball Confederation, Mr. Fracari, and I was at, at the game Mexico against uh, Japan in an empty stadium. And that, that was quite a, a, a different experience. And it, it sounded, I mean, it's, it's totally different. And I hope that we can go back very, very soon to having uh, spectators back at the, at the venues. It's not going to happen here in Tokyo, but I hope that in future games, we can uh, celebrate the, the games, you know, with certain, uh, certain restrictions. Yes, of course, but uh, with no, nevertheless, uh, spectators present. Uh, do you feel uncomfortable with all the sacrifice, uh, the the costs, the difficulties that Japan has had to go through to bring these games here. They're, the public opinion has been been a difficult issue for uh, on on the Olympics here in in, in Tokyo. Uh, not not a great deal of support ahead of the games. Uh, there have been some protests. Do you do you feel in any way uncomfortable and, and uneasy? about bringing the Olympics into Tokyo at a time like this? Well, you know, just getting to Tokyo in itself was for everybody, everybody, IOC members, and I think everybody who had to come here was a, was a different experience as well. We had to fill in uh, many, many forms and uh, download applications, and, and still we have to do daily tests uh, uh, still. Um, I've passed the, the 14 days already. I'm, I think I'm at day 18. But every day we have to do tests, which is okay. You get used to it, and it's part of the daily routine right now. But once we got here, uh, and, and even preparing, because as you said, the, the public was not very supportive of the games. Uh, the public opinion was uh, pretty much uh, very worried about it. But once the games started, and we were hoping that that would happen, uh, the Japanese, uh, the organizing committee, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government, the, the the Prime Minister, everybody has been very supportive, but not just in Japan. The the world leaders have really uh, um, asked Japan to, to go ahead with the games because they feel that these games are something special. They're not just a sporting event. They have a very special meaning this time because of the pandemic and everything that it represents. So right now we can see that that is that the public opinion is also shifting since the the first japanese medals became uh, uh, apparent and they won several medals and they're doing really really great the public opinion has shifted and you can see that the support for the games is now really uh, boosting and i think that is that is exactly what we were hoping for that once you see these games start and the sport takes over um, and, and when that first medal came in, and it came in pretty pretty soon at the beginning, uh, you could see that the public opinion really rallied around their their team. Uh, the, the 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 numbers are really impressive. Uh, the Japanese people are really watching the games. Um, the numbers. I'm not going to repeat the numbers because I might make a mistake, and uh, that would, was not my intention. But in any case, I can see that the support is really really outstanding. What what kind of legacy do you think the the games will leave in Tokyo? You know, all these venues have been built, certainly, and I guess that's maybe the biggest part of it. But you know, when they when when the when the flame goes out in a few months next year, what will what will Tokyo be left with? Do you think as a legacy? Well, I think apart from as you said, the venues that are outstanding, they're world class. I mean, they're absolutely the best venues I've ever seen. 
I think that one of the biggest uh, legacies from the Tokyo Games is the, the human resources, the, the, the investment in the, in the human resources of the country and of the organizing committee. What they have done, uh, we're putting together in this, in, under these very difficult circumstances, a fantastic organizing committee, which, as you remember, had, had some difficulty with their, with their chair, uh, chairman who, who made some unfortunate uh, uh, expressions which led, on the other hand, to something very interesting, which I hope is one of the legacies also of the Olympic Games, is that you see uh, a change, a shift towards the, the inclusion of more women in organizing committee. And I think that uh, Ms. Hashimoto, the, the seven-time Olympic uh, uh, participant, uh, is doing an outstanding job. And my, my synchronized swimming colleague, Mikako Kutani, the sports director, is also, she was yesterday at the pool, and I congratulated her for doing an outstanding job uh, taking over from uh, Koji last year. And uh, I think that the, the women on the organizing committee and within the, uh, the, the, the everything uh, in, in Japan, I hope that that will be one of the legacies, that that will not be something temporary, but that women get the opportunity to present and really be part of, of, of Japan for the future. Well, it, unfortunately, it happened just six months before the games, but it literally was, I mean, excuse the expression, a, a tsunami, a woman in charge of the organizing committee, yes. uh, a woman sports director, um, yeah. a, a woman Olympics minister. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the games have provided a, an extraordinary opportunity for women. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that same, uh, that same breakthrough for women, not just in Japan, you can also see it at the uh, the, the the medal uh, winning uh, streak of, of so many uh, of our countries within our continent. You can see that many of the women are winning medals, and it gives us it gives us great great pleasure because that's what we want. That's what we want uh, for the women to be offered the opportunity, and that they can actually really uh, step forward and and make use of of everything that they're being offered and win these medals and make their countries proud. One of the uh, I think. Um, enduring, endearing, enduring and endearing parts of these games. There's some extraordinary displays of sportsmanship that we've, uh, yeah. that we've seen. Um, what, what's been your reaction to what you've seen out on the field of play? For example, the, the high jumpers agreeing yes. to share the gold medal. Have you ever seen anything yeah. like that before? Well, you know, the Olympic Games is so special in that it's it, it 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 just showcases those kinds of stories. When you ask anybody, what is the Olympic Games? What does it represent for you? Most of the people would say, you know, the the world coming together, all these different countries, all these different cultures, all these countries, big and small, rich and poor, but they're all together at the at the Olympic Games. I was at the village yesterday. I I like to go to the village. I like to spend time with the athletes and just walking around there you see all that diversity and it's the most beautiful experience when you see all these countries and all these different people and all these young people uh, just living together for 16 days in the olympic village that is the olympic games that is really the, the olympic spirit uh two days ago i was at the olympic agora the olympic agora is an, an exhibition of a really really beautiful where it depicts, you know, everything that the Olympic Games stands for, the, the history, the 3,000 years history, and uh, everything that, that it represents ever since, you know, that the Olympic spirit is more alive now than it has ever been before. 
and that we need the Olympic spirit more now coming out of the pandemic than ever before. And all of these beautiful examples, you just mentioned the, the high jumpers. It was really, really, uh, I mean, heartwarming. I mean, if you see that and you can see two totally different countries, one from Qatar, one from Italy, and just, you know, present, showcasing something so beautiful of, of humanity, that is the Olympic spirit and that is the Olympic Games. And you, you can see that in sports. Uh, and I hope that the, the world of the, the society the world of politics and the world of business takes notice of that because that is what re really represents the world of sports. Now, the pandemic is having its impact that we're feeling right now in the way the Tokyo Games are, are being held, but uh, there's still some more, more recovery time ahead. Uh, the IOC is going to take a, a financial hit because of the uh, postponement and other costs that have uh, accrued as a result of that. Um, what does the IOC need to do to do to recover in the coming years from the from the impact of the postponement and uh, any, if I will call it this, hangover from the COVID pandemic? Yeah, the the difficulty that we see is that if you if you look at the last year when the pandemic started. It's so unpredictable. It's really, we thought that this was going to last for a couple of months. And it turns out that you have the first wave and a second and a third and a fourth. And now we have a new Delta variant that is even more contagious than all the other ones that we've had before. So it makes it very difficult to, to plan ahead and to, to predict what is going to happen. And you see that right now that it, the world is, is still involved very, very much in the, in the pandemic. I look back uh, to the speech that was given. Uh, at the IOC session by the Director General of the World Health Organization. And he really gave a strong message that really uh, portrayed uh, what we have to do as a world. We have to come together. We have to get vaccinated. And that is the, the most important message that he gave. And it's, it's really um, heartbreaking to see that the world as it is today with all these different countries uh, still have not been able to to vaccinate uh, at at a at a rate and at a speed that we would have wanted the, the world to be vaccinated. I mean, the Delta variant is is really uh, showing us that uh, if you if you are vaccinated, it doesn't give you a guarantee that you will not be uh, 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 affected by it, but it will be a lot less than than the other one. So the message from uh, the Director General was: get vaccinated, help the other countries to get vaccinated so that we can really come out of this as soon as possible. There is a solution and a solution through the vaccinations. So I hope that uh, the world took notice of that uh, speech. I, I have shared the text myself with the people back home so that they can, I mean, we're doing really great in my country. We're all, almost at the 75% of uh, vaccinated people and the numbers are really, really uh, controllable and they're not really uh, not present, but I, I mean, uh, that is something that we have to do. Uh, the pandemic and the virus is going to be with us for some time to come, and we have to learn to live with it and uh, really hope that the, that we can be responsible in our in our actions. Uh, what what impact is it going to make on planning for future games like Paris and and Los Angeles, the ones Los Angeles in particular you're most concerned with as the head of the coordination commission there, but. Uh, what what might be different about these next games because of what we've learned about COVID and the pandemic? Well, you know, I um, 
I'm pretty sure that these these games and these games organizers of the future, Paris, but to start with Beijing, Beijing is going to happen in six months from now. So they took notice, uh, both Paris and Los Angeles and uh, Milano Cortino had uh, observing teams here present in Tokyo. And they really, I, I spoke to them all uh, while they were here. And uh, Casey Wasserman and Kathy Carter and their team have been around uh, uh, They well from the beginning and they changed uh, uh, the team members, but they, they really took notice of everything that Japan is doing. Uh, Tokyo is doing absolutely outstanding jobs with regards to the uh, the countermeasures uh, of, of the uh, COVID-19. And I think that is, that is an experience that future games organizers have to incorporate in their organization. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how this is going to progress, but we do know that uh, we have to be prepared for these uh, previously unexpected developments. So we have to learn how to deal with it. Uh, I think the testing, I think maybe the mask uh, wearing, uh, all these different countermeasures may be part of the future or, uh, organization of games. So I'm very glad that these uh, organizers were on site for the uh, Tokyo Games, that they could take notice and incorporate those uh, measures in their uh, organization themselves. Yeah, more immediately, I uh, just... Uh... A couple of days ago, we were speaking with Brian Lewis from Trinidad and Tobago, and he he's of the mind that this is something that we're going to have to deal with for some time. You know, we have yeah. world championships coming. We got Beijing coming next year, the track and field world championships in, in the United States. It's going to be, he thinks, a, a, a lingering issue that we'll have to deal with. Yes, I think so too. That that's right. I mean, it's not just the the Olympic Games; it's also World Championships. We have Cali uh, in November coming up, the first edition of the Junior Pan American Games. So, in in all these games, we're gonna have to incorporate these measures so that people uh, uh, learn to live with it. I mean, vaccination is probably gonna be uh, something that uh, that we will take as a requirement for people to take part in the, in the games. And uh, that is something different uh, that we have to have to do uh, as well. So, I mean, Olympic committees will have to uh, learn to live with it as well. It's, it's certainly uh, a financial uh, uh, consequences uh, for, for the delegation, for the planning of, of NOCs, in particular the smaller NOCs, but also the bigger NOCs have to incorporate this in the, into their budgeting as well and into their, into their planning. So, yes, it, it will be for, for regional, for continental for world championships, for games. So the sports events will have to uh, really uh, adjust and, uh, as I said, learn to live with it. Now, you're involved with the Los Angeles 2028 Olympics as the chair of the Coordination Commission for, for, for those games seven years away. It's been pretty quiet out of Los Angeles. Uh, they were selected, what, two years ago, three years ago for this, for this role and have been in an understudy position. While Paris gets its uh, its games organized, but uh, now the the spotlight will start shifting to Los Angeles. What's the mm -hmm. uh, what's the big need in Los Angeles? What do they need to be working on that you can you can see from your vantage point? Well, Ed, I, I cannot be more excited about uh, about a project than uh, that I am about the uh, twenty twenty eight Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Four years ago already, uh, the, the double uh, allocation took place in 2017 in September. And it, it's it's like you know, unbelievable that four years have already passed. Yeah, and I can four tell years you that. Ago. Yeah, 
Incredible. It's four years ago already. <laughs> time, time passes very quickly. And they have been really quiet, but working extremely hard because they knew, you know, that Los Angeles is a privately funded uh, Olympic Games, so no government uh, financing. But uh, that meant that from the beginning, uh, from very early on, they needed to get that, uh, that funding uh, taken care of, and they're doing an outstanding job. Uh, I've been to, I've had the privilege to be uh, part of a very small delegation, not the entire coordination commission, but a small uh, uh, a team went to Los Angeles actually uh, before the pandemic still. Uh, the coordination commission has not been able to go, and we were hoping that we could do that by the end of this year. But as it seems, we will still have to do that remotely. But I have to tell you now, uh, since uh, a few months ago, the, the, the drumbeat, as they said, is steadily picking up. Uh, they're slowly, uh, since September of last year, when they uh, presented their their emblem, which was a very exciting uh, moment because it, it's, again, something very different from Los Angeles. That's what I like about Los Angeles. They, 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 they challenge everything. They uh, challenge the status quo. They challenge us all. They challenge themselves constantly. And they challenge the IOC and the Olympic movement in general to really take a look at how we have organized games up to now and ask constantly, why should we do that in that way? So things that, that have to be different, they're not afraid to challenge that. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful experience. Uh, the team is fantastic. They have put together and they are putting together an outstanding team with Casey Wasserman at the head. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to doing this. For me, uh, going back to Los Angeles since the 1984 Olympic Games has is it's like really you know uh, coming full circle. Uh, I was in Los Angeles. I, I went back to the pool where I competed in 1984. It was really an emotional experience. But to see all these venues, Los Angeles with all these world class venues. But I always say it's not just the venues; it's the teams behind the venues. They have such a great experience in organizing these world-class events that uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're going to be in good hands with uh, LA 28. Uh, and I, I really can't uh, can be more excited about that. The construction of new venues will be really kept to a minimum in Los Angeles. How big an advantage of that, big of an advantage is that? Uh, it, it seems to be a big help for an organizing committee not to have to go through those construction battles. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you know that every uh, games organizers have have the, the big headache of the construction of new permanent venues, LA doesn't have that. They have no need to build any permanent uh, uh, venues. So they can focus on some of the, the they have to construct, obviously, some temporary venues. Uh, but for example, the fact that they don't have to uh, construct the Olympic Village. They're going to use the UCLA campus, which we visited, and which is, I mean, an outstanding uh, facility that, that is going to be used as the Games uh, Village for the athletes. And uh, the, the U USC campus, which was the campus where I stayed during the 84 Olympic Games, is now going to be used as Media Village. I mean, that in itself is, is already a huge relief for the organizers. So they can, instead of focusing on the construction of permanent venues, they can actually focus on the organization of the games. And that is really uh, something, uh, a lot, a lot, a big relief. So, and that is exactly what they have done. They have to, uh, they're commercially uh, focusing very much on uh, 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 generating revenue early on. And they are very successful in that. 
And now, I mean, they're they're just, you know, behind the scenes, very slowly, very quietly, but working uh, extremely hard, uh, like uh, these little ants, you know, working hard uh, underground. And they're absolutely fantastic what they're doing. Their team is fantastic. And I'm uh, privileged to be part of that, of that experience. There are five uh, new sports on the program for Tokyo on a, on a one-time basis. Uh, Paris will come back with, uh, with four of, four of those, including break dancing. Uh, what, in what role do these new sports play, do you think, in keeping the interest in the Olympics uh, alive and growing? Well, that is, that is one of the exciting things. When it, when it happened, you know, when uh, the IOC decided as part of the Olympic Agenda 2020, it, it shifted from a, uh, uh, where, from a structure where the organizing committees are allowed a lot more flexibility for their edition of the Games to add some sports. And uh, Tokyo did that with five new sports. I've made it a point to to visit them uh, as much as I could. Uh, that's why I visited the baseball. I went to surf. I uh, went to uh, basketball three-on-three, although that's not one of the five sports, but it's one of the new uh, events. I'm going to uh, uh, sports climbing, and I really want to see how these new sports work. And I, I can tell you it, there's great excitement uh, on the part of the athletes, of the NOCs, and I think also from the media. I even saw a very interesting piece on CNN about surf. Surf was absolutely spectacular, you know, the beach here. Uh, it was a pity that the festival that they had had planned to take place could not take place because of the uh, the restrictions. Uh, but I mean, the the surf competition was was great, and it it opens the Olympic Games to an, a, a totally new uh, public, uh, and and that is something that we have to do. It's the fact that we have done something for a number of years doesn't mean that we have to keep it that way. So as uh, uh, we all say. We have to constantly challenge challenge ourselves and see how we remain relevant, especially for a new generation of, of public, uh, spectators, uh, uh, athletes. Uh, the youth has to stay involved. And that is also something that we're looking for for the 2024 Games with breaking, with these new sports. Uh, it, it's very exciting. And I think it's absolutely fantastic that we do this, that we offer them this opportunity. Do you think that there's a possibility, too, that some of the more well, one of the, some of the older sports on the program, some of the mainstays from a hundred years ago, might might go, might be modified or reduced in their in their numbers. You know, Ed, I I think that um, uh, we're constantly looking at the Olympic program, and I think the Olympic Program Commission, uh, under the leadership of uh, Carl Stoss, is doing an outstanding job. Uh, to look at these uh, uh, sports and how they impact the Olympic Games program. But to, to put together an Olympic program is not so easy. It's not just a matter of, okay, well, this is an old sport, let's move it. There are other factors. It's not just the bottom line. It is also the, the relevance. It's the geographical uh, practice of a sport. It's the gender equality factor. But there's also a tradition. I mean, the Olympic program has definitely has a certain level of tradition. It goes back into history. So all these factors are weighed in when the Olympic program is, is being made. And now for the uh, uh, 2028 uh, Olympic Games, we are going to evaluate after the Beijing Games and see how we move forward uh, with the Olympic Games program. It's very important for the NOCs. 
It's important for the international federations and it's important for the, the athletes to know well in advance if they are going to be part of the Olympic program. So this is an analysis that is being made constantly and uh, uh, we hope that we can uh, finalize that evaluation uh, right after Tokyo and then going into Beijing so that we look forward and, and, and consolidate the uh, Olympic program for the years ahead. You're a member of the executive board. You're part of the leadership of the IOC. And it, and it seems that these games in particular or this period of time we're in right now, the Olympics are getting a, a lot of criticism for their cost, for their relevance, um, whether they should continue or continue in a greatly modified way. What do you think uh, is the biggest misconception that people have about the Olympics? What if, you know, as you sit around as members of the executive board and uh, consider issues affecting the IOC and the Olympics, you know, what, what would you like to tell public that might be doubting the value of the Olympics? Why bother? Well, I think the uh, you said you used a very interesting word, misconception. I think there are, there are a lot of misconceptions out there. I wish that the the true story and the and the true facts and the correct facts would be would be published, uh, because people have some people have something in their mind that the Olympic cost a lot of money and that there it's it's a waste of money and it's it's not necessary. I think now more than ever, the Olympic Games are relevant because they they offer so much more than than an expensive sporting event. It's it's something that has great meaning, great value to humanity and to the uh, to the world. Uh, the the politicians, the leaders of the world have uh, recognized that. The uh, the G7, the G20 leaders have uh, really recognized that and have expressed in their statements after these meetings that the Olympic Games are so much more than a sporting event. They have uh, values at their base. Uh, they have the, the values that are very important for societies around the world. And through sports, and it sounds very uh, cheesy, but it really is true. Through sports, we're trying to create a better world. And there are examples, uh, too many to mention, uh, about the Olympic Games that really bring together the world in, in a peaceful activity. So there is so much more to the Olympic Games than just uh, uh, competitions. It's, it is a competition, it is a sporting event, but through those sporting events, we create a better world. So I do believe that there is absolutely a space for uh, and a need for the Olympic Games to continue. And we see, uh, Ed, and that's the beautiful thing here at the session in Tokyo, we elected the city of Brisbane to organize the, um, the Olympic Games in 2032 already. And there is interest for even games editions after that. So there is uh, interest. We are looking at ways to make the games more, more, uh, um, more simple, uh, simplify the organization of the games to make them uh, more economically viable. So there are certain things that I think the, the, the Tokyo model, at, as we call it, is definitely going to be an example because there are certain things that perhaps are no longer necessary for us to do. And the Tokyo uh, Games, in that sense, were quite a, a very important and a relevant exercise for us to do to make it more uh, economically uh, interesting for, for cities to do. The process has really, really uh, developed. Uh, we have a, a commission that is, is looking at that constantly under the leadership of the new executive board member, Kristen Kloster-Azen. 
future games are being organized and being prepared in a different way as ever before. So the, the IOC and the Olympic movement is really developing constantly to make uh, sure that we, we find new ways and the Olympic agenda 2020 plus five is, is absolutely uh, crucial in that sense. We are constantly developing and evaluating to make sure that we find if there's a way to do it better, let's find that way. And that is uh, something I think the IOC is doing really, really well. In uh, four years, I think, yeah, four years, there will be an opening in the IOC leadership for a new president. Because of your your age, your experience, your your involvement with the executive board, your name pops up as a person who could be considered as a possible candidate for an IOC to be IOC president. Have you ever given that some thought? And uh, would you would you consider taking a job like that? Ed, I was just recently elected as vice president of the International Olympic Committee. That is something that I'm very, very grateful for and very privileged and very humbled to be elected in that position. I will dedicate to that uh, position the, the coming four years. I intend to support the president and work in, in uh, favor and in uh, benefit of the IOC and of the organization of the athletes. And that is what's going to be my focus. I'm not focusing on anything on, in 2025 at this moment. I've always been a person that, and I've, I've said these words and I'm going to repeat them. If it comes, it'll come. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come. I'm not a person that plans these things ahead. I'm very uh, uh, honored to be uh, going from one position to another. I'm very, very happy with everything that's happening. I'm enjoying this very much. And I will work to the best of my abilities for these coming four years as the vice president of the International Olympic Committee. And that is my focus at this moment. Isn't it time for a woman to be in charge of the IOC, given the gains that they've made in the organization? and in international sport? I think the uh, the developments uh, demonstrate that women are taking uh, positions of leadership within the Olympic movement. And if a woman pops up as the best candidate, I would definitely support that woman. Uh, I think we have to make sure that we elect the best candidate for the job. We can't let you go without talking about the, uh, the home team from Aruba. Uh, they're competing here in Tokyo. Uh, tell us uh, about the the delegation of athletes you've got competing here? Well, we had a very small delegation this time where we had seven athletes in Rio, qualified athletes in Rio, uh, which was for us a, a great success at that time. I think the pandemic really hit us hard because our athletes are usually not training in Aruba. They're outside of Aruba. They're, most of them are in the United States or in Europe. And this time, because of the pandemic, we had to bring them back. And they were they were stuck back home without being able to train as they could, without being able to, to compete as much. So we had a smaller delegation this time. We had three athletes, two swimmers and one athlete in shooting. And they did their best. They uh, they were quite pleased with their with their performance, but they were not able to win any medals or, or advance to the second round. For us, Ed, to be honest, Olympic Games is, is quite a high level still. We're doing a lot of work and we're very satisfied with what we have accomplished the last uh, 10 years approximately, but we are still not at the level that we uh, have been able to win any medals. For us, the Olympic Games are, are relevant in a, in a certain, in a different way. For us, for example, being present at this world stage for us is very important. We uh, place a lot of uh, importance in the, in the presentation of our delegation at the opening ceremony for us, those 
few very valuable seconds are extremely important when we were extremely successful in that. Again, in 2016 in Rio, we were among the, the top 10 uh, best uniforms. And this time we were again among the top 10 uh, best uniforms. For us, that represents millions and millions of coverage of dollars. And we are uh, very happy that we were able to present our country in that sense in a very positive and very favorable way. Because of that, the Aruban population is really uh, uh, very supportive of the delegation and, and the social media and the, the messages that I have received for our delegation are really heartwarming. And I'm very happy from the prime minister of the country to different leaders of the country. And really the, the, the general public is extremely proud of its delegation. So in that sense, I think our participation here in Tokyo was a great success. Well, congratulations on that success, uh, Nicole Hoverts. IOC Vice President, thanks very much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much, Ed, and I wish you uh, a great remaining days of the Olympic Games, and I hope that we can bring it to a very positive end and that we can all say in the end, the Olympic Games of Tokyo were a great success. IOC Vice President Nicole Hovertz of Aruba has been our guest today on the Tokyo Report. We'll be hearing more from her in the years ahead leading up to the Los Angeles Olympics in 2028. And thanks for stopping by on this edition of the Tokyo Report. I'm Ed Hula. For three decades, your best source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.